Thanks for checking out this sermon from Redemption Church in Seattle, Washington, where we're enjoying Jesus, loving people, and making disciples. If you'd like to learn more about redemption, you can go to redemptionchurchseattle.com. Or better yet, come be our guest on a Sunday here in Green Lake. Uh, If you are a guest with us, my name's Drew. I'm one of the pastors here as well, and it is really a joy to have you as our guest today. We've got a lot going on, um, a lot of fun things as we get closer and closer to Christmas. And as Alex said, as a church, we've been walking through our Advent series, A Promise Kept, looking each week at how God has kept his promises through time all the way up until now and will always keep his promises, how we can find great hope in that, how we look at the promise of his love. And today, as we look at the promise of joy, And if we went out today and we walked around Green Lake, although I wouldn't recommend it because it's kind of gloomy, it kind of feels like a strange day to talk about joy, but we're going to. So if we went out and we walked around Green Lake and we asked people, what do you desire most in life? If we just ask honestly, what do you desire most in life? Most people would say happiness. And if we asked ourselves that question, a lot of us would even say that. We might not say the word happiness, but we would share different things that we believe would make us happy, would bring about fulfillment through happiness. We would say things like good health. We would say things like finances, money, my job, a really good position, a promotion, um, family situations, kids, all of these things, a spouse, whatever it may be. We might say those things, and they all point to this thing that people are pursuing day in and day out in our world, especially in our culture, and it's happiness. What I found interesting, though, is I was studying for today um, in a recent uh, magazine article from a psychology magazine. It said that the more you actually pursue happiness, especially here in the United States, the more you pursue happiness, guess what? The less happy you become the less happy you become, which I found really, really interesting. Because either you pursue that happiness and you receive that happiness, it's not, it's not quite what you expected, or it's not quite what you wanted, and it doesn't really fulfill you, or it really doesn't come about. That thing that you want the most maybe, maybe doesn't happen, or it doesn't happen the way that you hoped it would, and you're, and you're left kind of discouraged or frustrated. I think a big question today, even as we look at joy, though, is does God care about happiness and our happiness? And I would say absolutely he does because God's a good father and he cares about all of us and he cares about all of our emotions and all of our being. So as a good father, I would say he definitely cares about that. But believe it or not, your happiness is not God's top priority in your life. Your happiness is not his top priority in your life. And you might say, well, I definitely wish it was, and I totally feel you. But it's not because he actually wants more for you. He really does. He wants more for you. He wants you to experience this thing that we're talking about, this word that pops up, especially around Christmas. He wants you to experience real and lasting joy. Every one of you, every single person in here today, this is what he desires for you. And you might say, do you know the kind of year I've had? Gosh, I, I can't even tell you if, you if you knew the type of month I've had, if you knew the type of week I've had, if you knew the things that happened to me, if you knew the things that I'm experiencing, if you knew the things that I'm wrestling with or struggling with or the, the things that I wish were different, joy's not even in my vocabulary. I don't even if, know if joy is a real thing that I can really experience. That doesn't even seem possible. Is joy even possible? It seems so far away. Because we can buy into this idea that certain things really really will bring us joy when what we really mean most of the time is happiness. 
All of those things, job, money, power, relationships, but we soon become disappointed or we soon find that those things don't actually bring what we're looking for. This is why joy is worth so much more than happiness because joy doesn't play by the same set of rules as happiness. Is it an emotion? Yes, but it comes from a much deeper place. Regardless of how you came in, regardless of what you're sitting there thinking right now, it is absolutely possible for every single one of us, regardless of what we're going through, regardless of our situations, regardless of the challenges that we face, for every single one of us to walk out of here with joy. Because God makes this promise, the same promise to us that he made to a group of people thousands of years ago, that were experiencing anything but happy circumstances, that found themselves facing a lot of challenges. And as we looked at last week, God's people, they've been taken into exile and they were wondering, where are you, God? Why did you allow this happen? Where are you in the midst of this? What are you doing? And as we look at this main passage today, also in Isaiah, he continues to reassure them that he hasn't left, in fact, far from it. And so if joy is worth so much more than happiness, the real question then I think that we would ask is how? How do I experience and hold on to this thing that God wants for me, this thing called joy? So if you want to turn here, we're going to look at Isaiah 56, and we're also going to have it up on the screen, and there's a red Bible in front of you, and we're going to start in verse 1 and look at these first few verses. Isaiah 56, God speaking to his people who have been sent into exile, who are confused, who are discouraged, but he brings great promise. Here's what it says in the first two verses. Thus says the Lord, keep justice and do righteousness, for soon my salvation will come and my righteousness be revealed. Blessed is a man who does this, and the son of man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath, not profaning it, and keeps his hand from doing any evil. You know, it's easy to look around and be discouraged. It doesn't really take too much work to be discouraged. And this is really the backdrop of this passage of people who are discouraged. But God says this. He says, hey, don't throw in the towel. Don't give up. Don't walk away from me. He says, don't live really out of your discouragement. I know your situation. I know what you're going through. But he says, instead, keep justice. Continue to do righteousness. Don't live as those who don't have hope. And he says this, and it's really interesting. He says, who keep the Sabbath. Why is keeping the Sabbath such a big deal? Well, in this context, an exiled, an exiled people, they were far from their temple, and there were a lot of things that they couldn't do, but one thing that they could do is they could keep the Sabbath. They could keep this holy day. And what it was showing, what God's pointing to, is it showed their faith that it went beyond their circumstances, that they wouldn't become so discouraged that they would lose sight of God's promises and his promise especially of redemption. He says, so keep justice, keep righteousness, keep the Sabbath, keep moving forward in this righteousness. Don't give up, don't throw in the towel. And once again, you may see, they may have even been saying, God, do you see what's going on around us? Do you see what's going on in our lives? And yet you're commanding us to keep the Sabbath, and you're commanding us to keep justice, and you're commanding us to, to do righteousness. And I think a lot of times we can feel the same way how can you tell us to be this way when all this is happening? Well, here's why. You notice in this verse he says, because salvation is coming. Because salvation will come and my righteousness will be revealed. And we know that what God is pointing to here is why we celebrate Christmas. He's pointing to Jesus, the Messiah, the one who's promised that's going to come. 
that God is going to keep his promise. And so then he turns from his people who have been exiled and he turns to the foreigners, to those who weren't in the family of God, at least not yet. He says, let not the foreigner who's been joined to himself say to the Lord, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. He's turning to those who are outside of the family, which is amazing and which a lot of people didn't expect. And he's saying, even those foreigners, even those Gentiles, which would be us, he's saying, I'm also going to allow them to enter into my family. And those who cling to me, regardless, those who draw close to me, regardless, I'm going to give them a name better than sons and daughters. You would say, sons and daughters of God is a pretty great name. What does he mean here? What he's saying is, You being brought into the family, this is never going to end. It's never going to be taken away. This is eternal. You're kind of sons and daughters plus. You're going to be given God with you. You're going to be permanently in this family for all of eternity, not just here on earth, but in eternity to come. This is such a powerful statement that's being made here that he would do this. And he says, don't let the foreigner say, well, the Lord will surely separate me from his people, or the eunuch say, well, I'm a dry tree. He's really hitting a lot on feelings here, the feelings that can come, the feelings of fear, the feelings of discouragement. There was a fear that maybe God wouldn't accept them. There was a fear that because of the, circumstance, because of the circumstances they found themselves in, and this is really draws the big difference, the big distinction between happiness and joy. One is circumstantial. Happiness is always circumstantial. If you got a big promotion tomorrow, you would be happy. If you got fired the next day, you wouldn't be happy. Happiness is an emotion that comes and goes completely based on the circumstances that we find ourselves in. But joy, it's still an emotion. It's still something that God has given us. It's still something that wells up inside of us, but it's so much more powerful because it's not circumstantial. It's based on something much deeper. It really is based on what we know. It's based on a promise. It's based on something unshakable within us that the circumstances around us can't affect. This is really the heartbeat of joy. This is why it's so much more powerful than happiness. And so what God is saying here is, hey, just because you you feel this way, hey, my exiled people, just because you feel... This way, hey, foreigner, just because you're you're like, I don't know if God even is going to accept me, or the eunuch who can't bear children and who's an outcast, he's saying instead of living by your feeling, instead of living by all these things, your fears, your discouragement, instead live by my promise. Remember what I've told you. Remember what I'm telling you right now. And for us, it's remember what he's told us because Christ has already come. And so we don't live just by our feelings, but instead we live by The promise. The promise here of a new identity. That for those who have turned to God, for those who have understood that they were separated, that's all of us, every single one of us, none of us, none of us get a free pass on that. Our sin has separated us from God. And for those who realize that, for those whose eyes are opened, for those who confess their sin, who repent, who turn 
from their sin, who turn from their old life to their new life in Christ, as he talks about drawing near here, who has joined himself to the Lord, God has this promise that he makes, this promise of a new identity, that you're no longer seen in light of your sin, but now you're seen in light of the king who's coming, the one who is going to give himself for you. This is the promise for every single one of us. And so if you have a relationship with Jesus today, you have this new identity as sons and daughters, permanent sons and daughters, even better than that, eternal sons and daughters who God loves as a good father. And if you don't have that relationship, God offers it to you today. That if you've been running your own way, if you've been seeking happiness, if you've been pursuing other things and you think that that's going to fulfill your life, and guess what? You find out, hey, this isn't really working out. In fact, you can have everything that you've ever wanted and you can still find yourself miserable today. You can have the house. You can have the bank account. You can have the spouse. You can have the kids. Everything can look perfect from the outside, but is there still this hole within you that says something's missing? You know what's missing? It's Jesus. And he offers himself to you today, free of charge. Because he loves you and God wants to give you this new identity. So you're no longer hopeless. You're no longer separated. What God is pointing to here is that his hope reaches us no matter how, how, no matter where we are right now. So for his exiled people, for the foreigners, for the eunuch, for the oppressed, for the outcast, his love reaches. For you today, no matter what you're facing, his love reaches you. He knows where you are. He knows what you're facing. He knows what you're going through, and he knows what you're going to go through, and his hope reaches you. I find great joy in knowing that our standing before God is not dependent upon our standing in the world. The eunuch, the one who was barren, who couldn't have children, the world may reject him, but in God's family, he's accepted. The foreigner, the outsider, the one who people didn't want anything to do with, the unclean, And the world rejected and God's family accepted. All accepted through this coming salvation, this coming promise. In verse 6, the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord, again, this idea of joining yourself to the Lord, drawing close, accepting him, to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants. Everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful, I'll make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. This can seem really hard. This can seem really impossible that a people that were oppressed, a people that were tossed aside, a people that were in bondage, a people that were exiled, that they could be joyful. But that's exactly what God says. And it's not on their own merit. And it's not on something they could conjure up within themselves. You can't do that with joy. You can't say, well, I feel like I need to be joyful right now. So you like flip a switch and you're joyful. That's not how it works. That's not how it happens. It goes so much deeper. And for some of us, I'll just say it again, you, you may feel like God's forgot about you. You may feel like God's kind of abandoned you. You may feel like you're just not sure what tomorrow looks like. You may be confused. You may be frustrated. You may be angry. You may feel like the foreigner who's all alone. You may feel like the eunuch who's the outcast, the unclean. And yet, and yet God makes this promise. And so is being joyful a real possibility for you, for me, for all of us today? Absolutely, 100%. That question that we ask at the beginning, how? Well, here's how. Joy comes in the absolutes. It comes in what we know. 
It comes in what we know based on the faith that we have. This is Christian joy. John Piper says this. He says, joy comes, and I love this, joy comes when the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, gives us eyes to see the beauty of Jesus that calls joy up out of our hearts. Joy comes when the Holy Spirit gives us eyes to see the beauty of Jesus that calls joy up out of our hearts. It comes from what we know. And here's what we know today. Let me encourage you as a church, if you have a relationship with Jesus, if you've drawn near to him, here's what we know today. Not just what we feel, here's what we know. We know that we are not alone. And that's great news. We know that we don't go it alone. We know that as it says here, we've been brought into the family, invited into the family. We've been given a great name as sons and daughters, even better than that. We've been brought into this and welcomed into what Jesus or what God calls his house of prayer, that we can now commune with God, that we are with God and he is with us. This is Emmanuel, God with us. This is the hope of Christmas. This is why we rejoice. This is why we sing the songs. This is why we're here this morning because we don't go it alone. Otherwise, we would be hopeless. But one has come. The promised salvation has come. The promised righteousness has come so that we don't have to walk around day by day with our heads down, but instead we can look up. The Holy Spirit reveals the beauty, not the beauty of the things around us, not the beauty or brokenness of our circumstances, but the the beauty of our risen Christ. We don't go it alone. Know that today. You don't go it alone. Find joy in that. We know that God has a good plan, a plan to send salvation, to send his son who he's already sent so that we could have a relationship with God and not be cut off, so that we would no longer be left in captivity to our sin. We know that we're loved. Do you know that? You're loved today. You're loved today. It's good news for all of us. You may not feel lovable. You may look at yourself. You may look at your past. You may look at your life and you may say, I'm not lovely, but get this, you're loved today. No matter, no matter who you are, you're loved today by a God who has given everything to make this known in your life. You're loved with a fatherly love that's unwavering, as we looked at last week, an enduring love that not just puts up with us, but endures with us that would welcome us into this family and give us this new identity and would sacrifice his son. And finally, and this is more of a question, but we should as believers know that Jesus, that he's enough. And that's really the bullseye, that Jesus is enough. And this makes all the difference. This is how it's possible for someone right now as we're in here worshiping freely in a war-torn third world country, not knowing where their next meal is going to come from, not knowing if they're going to be alive tomorrow, to still be joyful, to still find joy. How is that even possible? Because they know they have Jesus and that's enough. For many of us, maybe we've never thought that way because we've had everything we need. We haven't really struggled that much. But there are those all around us who literally have, some of them, nothing except for Jesus, and that's the source of their joy. Think about Paul in the New Testament, this guy who was shipwrecked, who was stoned, who was left for dead, who was persecuted daily, who was thrown into a prison cell and who eventually gave his life, yet he is able to talk about time and time and time again throughout his life in these New Testament letters, the joy that he has. 
And you would say, oh my gosh, Paul, your life is harder than mine will ever be a hundred times over. How do you have joy? Because he had Jesus. And it was enough. And it went much deeper than any of the circumstances in his life. The point being here, hear this, this is kind of the, the big point here, is that joy comes, if you want joy, if you want to experience joy, if you want to hold on to joy, joy comes when you know that what you have is worth more than what you don't. When you know that what you have is worth more than what you don't. That's why it's so important that in these verses it says the ones who join themselves to the Lord. We join ourselves to a lot of things, pursuing happiness and pursuing joy, things that we think will fulfill us, but they don't. Here's some proof of that. We don't find joy in pleasure. Lord Byron lived a life of pleasure more than anyone did, and he wrote this, the worm and grief are mine alone. Joy isn't found in money. Jay Gould, the American billionaire, had plenty of that, but when dying, he said, I suppose I am the most miserable man on earth. It's not in position, in fame. Lord Beaconsfield enjoyed more than his share of both, and he wrote, youth is a mistake, manhood a struggle, old age a regret. It's not found in power. Alexander the Great Conqueror, who who conquered the known world in his day, having done so, he wept in his tent because he said there are no more worlds to conquer. When it all comes down to is really this, is Christ worth more in your life? Is he enough? Is he worth more than your circumstances? Is he more valuable? More than anything else, do you value him? If not, really the question and maybe something to think about and examine today is what's getting in the way of that? What's preventing that from happening if you're not finding joy today in Christ? It wraps up here. It says, The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. How is this made possible? Well, it's what we're celebrating right now in this season. It's through the birth of Jesus and then through his perfect life and then through his death, that he would take on our brokenness, that he would take the outcasts, that he would take the eunuchs, that he would take the foreigners, that he would take the exiled. Instead of leaving us hopeless, he would live a perfect life for us, for you, for me. He would grow to a cross that was incredibly cruel. He would be separated from his father so that you and I wouldn't have to be separated so that you and I could experience life and in that life, so that you and I can experience joy. That this promised salvation, Jesus, that he would come and he would bring hope. That's how this is possible. So this is the promise that's made. It's an amazing promise of salvation. And then the beauty of this is we see it come to pass. A few verses, I'm going to read these from Luke 2. You already heard them read today. I love this, this promise of salvation, the promise to the righteous one, it finally comes to pass because God keeps his promises. There were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night and an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of God shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for who? All people. Isn't that good news? For all people, for the broken for the imperfect, for the banged up, not just for the good, not just for the put together, for all 
people, regardless of race, regardless of class, regardless of sexuality, for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. How is this joy made possible? It's not through politics, it's not through finances, it's not through holding a position of power as we think of power, but it was made possible and is made possible through love. Through love. Think about this verse in Hebrews 12 too. Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame and seated at the right hand of the throne of God. What did Jesus know? How was he able to have joy, the joy set before him? Well, he knew he was not alone. He knew that he, knew that he had a father who loved him. He knew that the father had a good plan, a plan to save us, a plan to say that his sacrifice was good, that he would be brought back to life. He knew that he loved us and he was loved by the father and this was enough. While we were the outcasts, God makes this way for us through Jesus, and he welcomes us joyfully, not begrudgingly, joyfully into the family. Our God is a loving God, and he rejoices every time a new member enters the family. He doesn't do it begrudgingly, that we would be able to trade in our sadness for joy, our confusion for joy, our weakness for joy, the weight of the world for joy, tomorrow for joy, and we would be able to take up the joy of our salvation from a God who loves us so much that he's given us Jesus and has promised that he will never change. Joy is the result of hope and peace made possible through the love of God to us through Jesus. That's exactly what Jesus accomplishes. As I was preparing this week and I was thinking about this um, passage and I was thinking about talking about joy, I actually found myself listening to this song. I didn't even know I was listening. Well, I knew I was listening to it. Um, but I, I wasn't thinking about what it was saying at first. But then as I was reading through this and I was thinking about the love that God's shown us through Christ and how in order for us to experience joy, we really have to understand the love and the weight of the love that God has shown us, that it's through his love that brings about hope and peace that we experience joy. Those two are never disconnected. Uh, I was thinking about the kind of love that God's shown us as the foreigners who he's welcomed in who he's given a new name, who he's given a new identity, the kind of love that's taken our brokenness and instead given us new life that we can find great joy in. And I wanted to read you these lyrics from this, from this song that I was listening to. I think it's a good picture, obviously not perfect, it's not scripture, but it's a good picture of the type of love that God shows us, this promise-keeping love who has promised us joy through Christ it says this, it says, Sweetheart, you look a little tired. When did you last eat? Come in and make yourself right at home. Stay as long as you need. Tell me, is something wrong? If something's wrong, you can count on me. You know I'll take my heart clean apart if it helps yours beat. It's okay if you can't find the words. Let me take your coat and this weight off of your shoulders. Like a force to be reckoned with, a mighty ocean or a gentle kiss, I will love you with every single thing I have. I will love you without any strings attached. God loves you today, this is something you can know. You're not alone today, this is something you can know. 
Even though you may not be able to see what tomorrow looks like, God has promised he has a good plan. This is something you can know. But do you know that Jesus is enough? When you know God loves you, how much he loves you with the type of love he's shown you, how can we not be filled with joy? Sometimes we just lose sight and we need to be reminded. Not only that, our world needs to see this joy on display. That when you face hard times in your life, which you will, you're still joyful because you have Jesus. That when it doesn't make sense and there's chaos all around us, why are you still joyful? Oh, because I have Jesus. This is what our world needs to see. They don't need to see more hate. They don't need to see more hurt. Instead, what they need to see is more joy from God's people because they have the greatest promise of all. They have Jesus. So how do we find and hold on to joy? We allow Jesus and his promises to find and hold on to us. So that's what I would encourage us with as we get ready for Christmas and as we think about the birth of Christ and we think about these promises that we would allow these to sink deeply into our hearts, to be reminded of what we have, what will never be taken away, to be reminded of what we know, the love of God offered to us through Jesus. May this bring us great, real, lasting joy.